This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. Just speaking, literally just before we press record how... Old and fragile, I feel I'm getting. I this week, this week, I had I had a decent week. It wasn't a bad week, but this week, I think it was Thursday. Got out of the shower, just went to dry my hair a little bit with the towel. Nothing too much. Usually do ten seconds or so, and then just let it dry normally. And I did my back, popped out. That was me done for the day. I did not move the whole day. And yeah, I'm feel I'm feeling the age, Adam. I feel like I need to start looking towards a pension and retirement. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I blame my my dad for all of this because I have the same issues, and I even had it like as a teenager. It it hampered yeah. my sports career. Who knows oh, what I could have become? What, yeah, there. Who we knows go. what I could have become? There we go. Yeah, I don't think it was the back problems that hampered your sports career, mate. But um, but yeah, how was your week? How was your weekend? All of that biz. Uh, fine. It um, it turned to winter here overnight. Like nice. literally, it was in. We'll go. We'll go Celsius here. Literally, it was in the mid thirties, and then the next day it was in the low teens to single digit Celsius, I believe. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, but uh, this the forest fires have been all cleared out. We got some rain. We got snow on the mountains, so hmm. I'm enjoying that. The forest fires were cleared out, except for at the city ground. Am I right? There's plenty of forest fires there and in the Liverpool back line as well. Um, You must have seen the rain in London, I think it was, for the Tottenham game. 
Those soft southerners have lost their minds because they've had a little bit of rain. Actually, in actual fact, today, the night of recording, we're on Sunday at the moment. It's been, I'm hesitant to say glorious, but it's been nice. It's been a nice, crisp, autumnal day, bar maybe a bit of rain this morning. Those southerners, one bit of rain and suddenly the entire city goes on lockdown. I saw lightning at that game. Is there not? Are there not rules in England for lightning strikes and sporting events? No, the only strikes that we have are, are on the trains. Fair enough. I'm on fire today. Um, should we crack on with things then? Um, we'll start at the Etihad Stadium. Manchester City 3, Brighton Hove Albion 1. Now, it's not the best thing to say at the start of the podcast where people are coming to listen to our opinions on it, but an entirely forgettable football match. Hey-ho, there are a couple of things that we shall talk about from it. Um, start off with the, the double from Erling Haaland. I have to say, in the current environment, in the current context, I was mightily surprised that first goal stood. Not because I thought it was a foul, but just given the sort of decisions we've seen, you know, last weekend, yes, it was a foul from Haaland on, on the ship. But, you know, in terms of the context of the game, and it was a little bit similar at the Etihad Stadium in that first half against Brighton. The referee was allowing stuff to go on. I was mightily surprised VAR didn't turn overturn that first Haaland goal. Being said, what a goal it was and, and a perfect example of his bullish centre-forward play. It was, and I don't actually think this game was that um, forgettable. I'll go. I'll I'll give my my reasoning later on. But yeah, that that goal. I think Holland kind of got the benefit of the doubt from the referee and the VAR. Like mm. they probably thought it's Holland. That probably he didn't use much force to do that. He just kind of had to look yeah. at the defender, and they kind of just cower and fall over. Whereas maybe if that was. <clears throat> Uh, we'll say a more normal human being knocking over the defender like that, then they'd probably think, yeah, they probably had to use excessive force for that. Let's whistle for the foul. Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly. I mean, if it was Julian Alvarez, then there'd been massive questions about how a man who's probably the same size of a Smurf would be able to knock over. I think it was Lewis Dunk, but obviously. But, but saying that, it, even looking back now, I'm not saying it's a foul, but even looking back now, I can see there's a bit of a, it's no more than a shoulder barge. And obviously the centre half is a good few inches smaller than Erling Haaland's six foot four frame. But even so, I'm thinking, hmm, I've, se- I've seen goals this season disallowed for less. That- that's all I'm saying. And, uh, you know, if it had been ruled out, he'd have been punished for being strong, basically, or, or-, or existing. But even still, I'm like, hmm, hmm, yeah, interesting one, that. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad they gave it because I don't like to see big guys get penalized for just being stronger than everybody else. Is I that think from that personal experience. <laughs> yeah. Like... I, I have this issue in my five aside team. I'm just so much bigger than everybody. And, and I just bully everybody physically yeah. that I never get the rub of the green, but no, I, I I'm glad. Cause that's something that's always kind of bothered me about modern day football is mm. the stronger you are. It seems the more liable you are to commit fouls, which I don't think those should correlate. Justice for the strong men. Um, you didn't. You didn't mention that you were. You were rightly too strong in your five side games, but they were against five year olds. So maybe that explains why you were. You were pushing True. them off the ball and booting them away. Um, yeah, but you can tell how happy he is to score goals. And I know it's a simple take and, and stuff that's been said before, but it was a little bit of a quiet week for him, really, wasn't it? He, he blanked at Anfield last weekend didn't really have a sniff bar a few half shots from the edge of the box in that game obviously no city midweek game for the first time since god i don't know i can't remember it's it's been that long every other team in the premier league in action 
And then, what was it, about a half an hour or so in, 20 minutes in, gets that goal, loving it, backs it up with a penalty. And that felt like, with Riyad Mahrez on the pitch, that felt like the changing of the guards for Man City's penalty take. Obviously, Mahrez missed in Copenhagen. Haaland wasn't on the pitch at that time, so we don't know who'd have taken it. But with the two of them on the pitch, no doubt about it, Haaland had the ball in his hand straight away. And conviction was unbelievable. Slotted it. I mean, Sanchez stayed still. I don't know if he'd have got to it. It wasn't the best height in terms of the penalty taker. It was a good height for the goalkeeper. But even still, I don't think he'd have made it. Yeah, I think that's that matter settled. Um, you know, we saw in an interview with uh, Gary Neville did like 10 questions with Holland before the Derby. And he asked him, if your life was on the line and someone had to take a penalty to save your life, who would it be? And he said, me or Mario Balotelli. <laughs> so you, you you can see the confidence that he has in himself to take it. And, and why wouldn't he when you can hit it like that? Um, yeah, I think there could have been three keepers and it wouldn't have been saved. I think if there was a keeper standing on that post, the ball would have taken them into the net with it. Mm. Um, yeah, he hit it with just such force. And he know it was great. He, he knew it was going in because he hit it and then immediately started to run to the goal to grab the ball out of the net. Yeah. Like he yeah. didn't even give the keeper a chance to save it. He was like, yeah, I'm going to go grab this and we'll keep going yeah. now. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was unreal force. If you had to pick one, we won't go footballer because that's too easy, but one City Twitter, podcast, YouTube, media personality, journalist, who would you pick if you had a, you had a penalty to save your life? Who would you pick to step up and take it? I mean, that, that's a hard question because you don't know anyone's footballing ability, but just based well, on pure Well, that's instinct. the thing. I, I know one person's football ability because they sent us a video <clears throat> of themselves scoring in a five-a-side game, and that's John Ashley from there we go. the Main Road Ramble, and he lashed the ball on a half volley into the top corner. So just by process of elimination, I'm going to go John. Yeah, it was a great finish, that, I have to say. Although there was no sort of identification on it. It was like a tiny CCTV camera in the corner. Yeah, it could have so been his it, teammate. It could have been anyone. Yeah, it could have been absolutely anyone. But yeah, good pick. Um, right, we have to address City's performance as a whole. Before we do, going back to referee decisions, I appreciate this is so tedious, but do you think City could have had more than one penalty or at least an earlier penalty? At the time, I didn't think the foul from Sanchez on Haaland was necessarily a foul. It was the only one I was watching match the day in the evening that I go, how the fuck has that not been given? Because it didn't get given in real time, obviously. They went to VAR. And again, I'm sat there going perplexed as to how this thing operates because, okay, we've you is it a clear and obvious error? You can have that debate, but given what's gone on before and what the what the threshold has been before, it's just so draining and so confusing at the point now where I'm I'm bewildered. I expect nothing from it and I expect everything at the same time. Yeah, I, I, genuinely, I don't even know what to say. It, it was a penalty. His studs connected with Holland's shin. Holland goes down. Holland beat him to the ball. Mm. Sanchez is late to the ball. I mean, it's as stonewall as stonewall gets. I mean, luckily, Holland scored only 30 seconds or so later. Mm. Um, but, you know, if that happens and Brighton go down and score at the other end, then we're talking about an absolute, like, calamitous decision. So, um yeah, I genuinely have zero idea what would have gone through the referee's head or the VAR's head to mm. not give a penalty there. I can't. I genuinely can't explain it. 
No, it, it's been a perplexing couple of weeks, I have to say. Um, it, it seems like everything's got worse, not necessarily with the refereeing decisions, although they've always been bad, but just the, the entire process, really strange. Um, right, okay, City's performance as a whole then, it wasn't the prettiest of games for me from City's point of view. I think maybe the first 25 minutes were fine, then City went 2-0 up, and then um, in between that gap of City getting their second goal, which was obviously about, it was towards the end of the half, but, but just before that and then then half-time, and then more importantly, from half-time up until that De Bruyne strike on 75 minutes, Brighton were really, really, really good. Really good. I, I'd say... Probably the best footballing team that City played at home this season. Possibly, maybe even away. I know that Newcastle game going back was was um, an open and frantic one. St. Maximan tearing City apart. But I was really impressed with, with Brighton. And you have to say, if the game is being judged from 30 minutes to 75 minutes, Brighton were probably unlucky not to get something for the efforts. Yeah, and I think you've got to give all the credit to Brighton there. I, I, I don't necessarily look at that and say, oh, City collapsed. Um, I think Brighton are a good enough team that if they get a bit of momentum and they get a bit of control in the game, then they're good enough to hurt any team in the league, probably any team in Europe. They've been that mm. good over the past eight months or so. Um, you know, we saw what they did to Liverpool at Anfield and 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 at home as well. They play that way. So um, I thought it was actually extremely resilient of City to survive that kind of onslaught for a bit, come out on the other side, score a wonder goal and put the mm-hmm. game to bed. And then, and then it's, you know, just normal service resumed after that. So yeah, I wasn't too concerned about it. I thought Brighton were really good on the day and they, they did what Southampton did last year to city in both, both games and in, in which obviously city didn't win either. And that was, they shut off the supply balls from Ederson really, really well. They basically mm-hmm. had a front four, that was man marking everybody in the front four and Ederson had had no options but to go long. And obviously we saw how that worked out. I think that this is one of those games and it's become an absolute city cliche at this point. This is one of those games that city don't get a result last season because they don't have Holland there to be an out ball from Ederson. And I think that city would have really, really struggled with that Brighton press last season. Um, because there was at times, especially when we saw the lineup and we saw the the inverted wingers and no overlapping fullbacks, we thought, oh, this could be stodgy. Um, and I think it was, to, to be fair. It was at times. Um, but I think you got to give credit to both sides because Brighton played really well. They fended off cities um, playing out of the back really, really well, and, and City dealt with it and and kind of countered their their press really well. So... I think it was just a great game of football, to be honest, from two really good teams. Mm, yeah. Just looking at some of uh, the uh, stats now. Completed passes, City 352 to Brighton's 394. Total attempted passes, City 428, Brighton 466. Goal attempts, City 10, Brighton 8. And more more pressing, really, ball possession, City 48, Brighton 52. I can't remember the last time City would have been outdone on possession at home. And it, it does go to show that little evolution in the side this season with Erling Haaland. And you don't have to be uber control all the time in games like this. Do City win this game without Haaland? I, I don't know. I'd have to sort of watch it back and analyse. It didn't feel for me like what games have we had this season where, where Haaland's almost done it on his own? I suppose Crystal Palace, that you know, that, that was a, a pure masterclass in, in a blitz of, of 
20 odd minutes or so. Potentially there's, there's other players who come in and, and score some of those goals. I don't know. I really don't know. But but saying that, I, I don't remember City creating an awful lot of chances, um, even even with the goals. And, and yeah, re- result notwithstanding, I can't explain how much I love it and how much I enjoy it when managers come to the Etihad, set the teams up to play football and, and go at City a little bit. They're not afraid to press. They're not afraid to cut those passing lines off. It, it didn't work for Brighton this t- at this time, but if it wasn't for the best goal scorer in world football and a moment of pure genius from De Bruyne in the second half to effectively kill the game, there'd have been good money for the result. And I know I said at the top, it, it felt like a little bit of a sleepy match. Maybe that was doing it a little bit of a disservice. But yeah, fair play to Brighton. Um, I wish them all the best, all the best, because the the league has enough dross in it. The league, Premier League has enough dross in it and, it. and they're a much better place with teams like Brighton. And Roberto De Zerbi as well. He's only been there... What is it, a month or so? I think he's only picked up, is it two points or four points or something like that? They've not done, they probably could have got more for their efforts. But yeah, it's great to see it. It makes it a little bit more enjoyable than the usual sort of status quo. One concern I did have from that game, though, and I've voiced it a couple of times, is a Kanji at right back. And I'd be interested to see your opinions on this because John Stones at right back is an option, but a frustrating one at times. And for me, Akanji there feels a little bit worse. Yeah, it's just a bit slow with him there. And that's fine. It's not yes. It's not yeah. his role. Um, he's clearly more suited to playing centre-back, which is his natural position. Um, yeah, I think when you have him there, he's not obviously doesn't have the pace of Kyle Walker. He doesn't have the technical ability of Jao Cancelo. So he's just kind of a body that's there and he's somebody to recycle the ball through. Um, obviously it wasn't an issue in this game in the sense that city still had plenty of, of other ways to create chances. Um, but I think in games maybe where if Brighton had decided to come to the Etihad and, and sit back with, you know, a back six and, and, you know, kind of play the way we've seen Burnley play or Atletico Madrid, mm-hmm. whoever it may be to come and sit really deep then then it might become an issue. But I think with Brighton coming out and playing, there was a bit more space and we didn't necessarily need a super pacey, super technical fullback out there. I think I'd like to see more of Sergi Gomez mm. and maybe give Cancelo out. I, I know Cancelo is definitely better on the left, but the way that the pitch is spread when you have the two overlapping fullbacks, I think it's just way more suited to the players that we have playing at inside forward and striker and, and central attacking midfield. So uh, yes, it's, I wouldn't say it's a concern. It's not great. Um, but I don't necessarily think he's a liability in the way that maybe Fernandinho was there last season. Um, he's going to put a shift in, he's not going to do anything special, but we don't necessarily have many options at the moment, do we? No, no, I know. And it, it, it is definitely, um, Makeshift, I think that's fair. I don't think I'm doing anyone a disservice there by saying that he he wasn't signed to play right back, or if he was, it was sort of definitely second to his natural position. However, obviously with Kyle Walker out, which isn't which isn't ideal, he, he, someone has to do it. And with John Stones out as well, who who was on the bench, I believe, on Saturday against Brighton, someone has to do it. I I just feel as though we're getting to the point now where it isn't a case of if City go into the market after the World Cup in this position, it will be a case of when. And and I wouldn't be surprised in the next few weeks if we start hearing rumours about X player, Y player, Z player. 
the the issue is again it's the same as the left back talk we had in the summer. The options are so slim. It's it's a really um, it's a position in world football that's that's sort of lacking depth and quality across the positions. You know, you look at some of the, the the big six teams. As much as I despise that term, but for example, Tottenham Hotspur have had issues at right back. They, they've had to turn back to Matt Doherty, who, who originally wasn't a fan of. Uh, sorry, Conte wasn't a fan of. You know, Arsenal have been playing Ben White there, who is a natural centre back has been shifted out and he's done a fantastic job. So there is issues at other clubs with this position. I just don't know where where City go. You've mentioned in the past Pedro Porro, but again for me if that if that was going to happen, it would have happened. Whether or not City look back and go, um perhaps now is the time. I, I don't know, but it feels like it's so, so, so in need of a little bit of change because Bar Cancello coming in, he's obviously gone out to the left back. It Kyle Walker was the last player purchased to play that position. Yeah, and I wonder if, you know, we've seen guys like Joshua Wilson S. Brand on the bench. I wonder if Pep maybe starts to bed them in a little bit more, players like that. I'm not quite sure. You're right that the the options around Europe are pretty slim at the moment. I think the goal right is to find kind of um another Danilo. I thought Danilo was the, the perfect player for what City need right now, which is another kind of Swiss yeah. Army knife fullback. He can play on both sides well. He's not, you know, he's not anything special but he's not going to be a liability. He's going to put a shift in. Um, oh, I think Cancelo, he just... really, wasn't it, when he came in? They they were like for like in a way, but it's got to a point now where Cancelo's not good enough to take Kyle Walker's place on the right, but is good enough to play left back. <laughs> Do you know what? Give Danilo a bell. Get him back. Juventus are in free fall. Go on, tell him to come home. Uh, listen, I loved Danilo. I, I genuinely loved Danilo. Yeah, maybe the only not... person who's ever said that sentence, but he, yeah, he was great. He was great. He Listen, when he was needed, he did well. He, and um, he was a passion merchant as well, a little bit like Cancelo. He, he loved it. The fellow loved yeah. it. Yeah, I, I don't really know where you go here. I think this is going to have to be maybe City finding another little gem like Sergi Gomez, somebody who is on the cusp of you know, being a full-time senior player. Um, Mm. And we kind of have to hope that Kyle Walker maybe has another year in him. It's not looking great with the Mm. way the season started even before his injury. Um, Yeah, I think that's probably the hope and and kind of hope that somebody kind of comes out of the woodwork in the next year or so in the position. But I I don't know. When you look around Europe, uh, the, the pickings are slim, that's for sure. Yeah, well, Football Manager 23 was released this weekend. And I know for a fact we've got listeners who who have an unholy amount of hours on that game. So a bit of homework for the listeners. Find us the gems at right back in European football. Tweet them in. We'll steal your ideas. We'll pass them off, pass them off as our own. And, uh, and yeah, we'll look like the clever ones. No joking, we, you know. Get who's out there? That's what I'm saying. Find us someone. Find us someone, City fans. Um, do you play Football Manager? Is that something you've ever delved into? Yeah, I started to. Uh, it was just too much for me. <laughs> you know what? I, I think I, I think I screwed up. I think I screwed up because the first save I did was with the Timbers and oh, MLS <laughs> roster rules and all the con- the way the contracts work are oh. absolutely batshit crazy. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not dealing with all of this. No, no. There, there was a time, I can't remember when it was, where Football Manager linked, because like, obviously MLS runs at a different calendar to the 
European calendar. I think there was a time when when they ran it so that it ran in sync with the European calendar, and and it was just even worse. Like I, I've tried an MLS save, and it lasted. 10 minutes before I quit and start again. Um, right, okay, let's move on then quickly and speak about Borussia Dortmund on Tuesday night. Yours truly will be in Dortmund at the Signal Aduna watching the game, which isn't as much as a grudge match as it would have been if Dortmund had beaten Sevilla, which they didn't. Um, but a point in Dortmund will secure first place for City. I, I, and for me, I think it's important to get that across the line before that final group game. So you can completely rotate the squad. You can take whoever you want out. You can bring whoever you want in. You don't have to have any issues, any sort of permutations. Well, if we lose 2-0, then Dortmund go top. Or I think it's important if City get that point, get it done, travel back home. Um, quick turnaround, I'll add. 12.30 UK time on Saturday afternoon is the Leicester away. So does that play a part? Possibly. But for me, yeah, it, it, get get the point. Just get the point. Yeah, I mean, I think when you see people like Phil Foden on the bench at the weekend, there's clearly an eye on this Dortmund game that's like, we need to put in a performance there, mm. get it all wrapped up so that we can put it in the rearview mirror and and the sixth game, which will be Sevilla at home, we don't really have to think about. Um, yeah, and when you look at the way that the rest of the groups are shaping up, I mean, I don't often believe in the whole winning the group is the most important because I think that sometimes you can get screwed by winning the group. And sometimes there's some, some rogue second place teams. But when you look at the teams in second around the rest of the groups right now, you know, you've got Benfica, Leipzig, Salzburg, Marseille, it's looking a bit better than the, than the teams in first. So Mm -hmm. um, I think this year, more than, more than years in the past, it's, it's pretty important to get that first place and get a, a kind of better round of 16 um, draw, but I think for the the most important thing is to make that Sevilla game a dead rubber, just mm. to be able to rest some guys because the calendar is still unrelenting up until the World Cup. Yeah, um, here's how it stands currently in Group G of the Champions League, which is obviously City's group. FC Copenhagen are bottom on two points. They're yet to score a goal, actually. Sevilla are in third, currently in the Europa League qualification. Of course, they are. How vogue is that? Um, Second is Borussia Dortmund. They're on seven points. Now they are essentially through. Sevilla and Copenhagen will be battling out for uh, the Europa League spot. So, So Dortmund, again, you know, they're going into it. Their objective would have been to finish second, let's face it, or, or the primary objective. Then whatever came after it would have been a benefit. City in first on 10 points, three points ahead of Dortmund. So if Dortmund win, they go level on points with City, but City's goal difference will be better. That then makes that final game of the group, you'd assume Dortmund do Copenhagen, that makes that final game of the group a little bit touchy when it when it doesn't need to be, does it? Um, on that note then... I assume you've just you've addressed you've addressed the point with your with your words then, but do you see any rotation or is it going to be as strong as possible? Again, you know, with the with some of the injuries, that's an issue for City. Who plays at right back, who plays at left back, etc. But is it going to be as strong a possible team at the Signal Aduna Park on Tuesday night? And will our man Erling Haaland make a return to the to the to Dortmund in style? I think he will. He may not play 90 minutes. He may play 45. Uh, He may play 60. I think the goal is probably to get an early lead and then try to rotate things. But when you look at 
the players on the bench <clears throat> um, against Brighton. You've got Nathan Ake, John Stones, Ilkay Gundogan, Phil Foden, Julian Alvarez. I mean, you could probably see every player I just named starting at Dortmund and and, and feel comfortable with that. You know, Nathan Ake, John Stones, obviously um, players we trust. Ilkay Gundogan, a player we trust. Phil Foden is maybe the second or third best player on the team at the moment as far as mm. what they're what they're giving on the pitch. Um, so I think there will be some rotation. It's not going to be the exact same 11 that, that faced Brighton. Um, but I think the kind of the real spine of the team, I don't think the, the midfield is going to change. I think Holland's going to be starting. Um, it's probably going to be three center backs again, I would guess, and Cancelo. Um, yeah. I think probably... Pep may have a little bit of a trust issue with Gomez after the red card in Copenhagen. Um, pro- probably see him in less meaningful games to kind of work back towards that trust. Um, but yeah, like I said, there was plenty of players that did not play at the weekend that you could see starting in this game. So I think there'll be a bit bit of rotation, um, yeah. but it's not necessarily going to be a you know a, a cup side because it's still a, a very important game. Yeah, and don't forget, uh, City are Dortmund's B team, essentially. Four ex-BVB players, two of, no, three of them signing this season. Obviously, Gundogan was already there, Nathan Akanji, Manu Akanji, Sergio Gomez and, and Erling Haaland. So there'll be there'll hopefully be some decent um, responses from the from the Dortmund fans. And, and yeah, what, what a place to be that will be. Um, right, OK, we'll be back in part two to address comments from Jamie Carragher. And if it's right to gaslight City fans into feeling certain ways. Adam, how unhappy were you with City's win on Saturday? From from a scale of one to ten, one being the most utter despair you've ever felt as a human being, and ten being, you know, unhappy. Where where were you with City's win? Win, I'll you know, italicize and, and bold win on Saturday. Uh, very unhappy, I've got to say. I absolutely loathe seeing a boyhood City fan smash goal scoring records. I loathe seeing the best midfielder in the world score stunning goals from 30 yards out. I hate every second of it, Amos. Thank you for asking and thank you for checking in on me. Yeah, yeah. Me me, me too. You know, it was, a t- it was a tough day. It was a really tough day arriving at the stadium. You know, usual just sadness all around. Nobody being able to to find any joy. The goals go in, just groans, or you know, nasty groans. Oh God, Harlan scored again. Fuck's sake, he shit. Get him off. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> what on earth was that from Jamie Carragher? And for those who aren't sure, I'm referencing. I'm hesitant to say article because that would imply some form of uh, legitimacy. It, it was an opinion column in the Telegraph on on Friday afternoon where he questioned why City fans are so miserable all the time. And I'll read what he said in the tweet that accompanied the article. Man City have the best capital letter, team, manager, midfielder and striker in the world. Without huge investment, they would be a mid-table PL club, Premier League club. Why are they so defensive and paranoid about it? Enjoy it, exclamation mark. Better to be top of the PL than net spend league, exclamation mark exclamation mark um what were your thoughts when you read that well there's there's many things to address there um (laughs) not least the terrible grammar yeah for a start um i didn't think that city were the best team in the world i thought that that was liverpool they've got the best goalkeeper best fullbacks best midfield and the best winger 
in world football. Um, listen, it, what I don't get, and we've seen a similar piece from, I believe it was Jonathan Wilson in the guardian a few years ago. That was the headline was something along the lines of Manchester city fans left frustrated by the roaring success or some absolute nonsensical headline like that. And what these, uh, like you said, hesitate to call them journalists because it, it brings legitimacy to this nonsense, but yeah, I'll I'll quickly jump in the Jonathan Wilson. What he is a a quality writer, you know, top of the game. This was just from time to time. Yes. Yeah. This was just drivel. What, what they don't seem to understand is when they spend half of their sad lives undermining City's success and trying to claim City's success as different from other clubs' success, every interaction they have with City supporters is going to be a negative one mm-hmm. because yeah. the City supporters are going to read this. They're going to, they're, they're, it's going to be on their minds when interacting with Carragher or Jonathan Wilson, whoever it is this week. If my neighbor comes outside and kicks my dog every single time they leave my house, my neighbors probably think I'm going to probably thinks I'm a grumpy piece of shit because every time I'm around my neighbor, I'm annoyed because they keep kicking my dog when really I'm a perfectly happy person. Don't kick my dog and we'd probably get along fine. So they spend their... Are you? Is this no, you sort of projecting your your need for? I've therapy? got no neighbors dog kicking okay? dogs. Is your dog okay? Can we just check that? No, I've got no neighbors kicking dogs. My <laughs> right, all good. of the dogs in our little compound are friends. So right, um, good, good, good. But yeah, I mean they they spend their time trying to undermine City's success. So of course, all of the interactions they have with the club and its fans are going to be negative. So they probably mm. think City fans are miserable. So mm. listen, uh, to a certain extent, I understand why they mm. would think that because city fans are going to be miserable around them because they say nonsensical things that make city fans miserable and dislike them. Mm. I mean, if they're judging misery, then I mean, we're, we're just, we're just, we couldn't be, we couldn't be further from, from it. Could we really you know us to just, you know, joyous bundles of happiness. There's no misery ever here. Um, no, you, you spot on uh, saying that though, when you did speak about, dogs being kicked my, my heart did sink like a submarine so i'm i'm really glad that all the pups in portland are okay but but yeah it, it focusing on this on this um piece from jamie carragher then because last week we we addressed on the monday show all of the all of the elements of the of the toxicity surrounding city and liverpool sort of immediately post-match and in the short build up in you know on the monday it felt by the time Tuesday rolled around and the Premier League schedule kicked back off and the fixtures were back, there would have been... I still think City had issues with the way they, had, with, they dealt with it, publicly not condemning the Hillsborough chance was bad. But in terms of everything else, it felt like, right, OK, let's leave that behind. From everyone involved, you know, people have had their say, let's leave it behind. Now, I understand how the media works. I understand how news cycles work. Jamie, Carr- Jamie Carragher has a, a column every week some weeks he'll speak about Newcastle, some weeks he'll speak about Tottenham, you know, whatever it is. And that comes out on Friday. So it had been on his mind, you know, that's what he's, what he was going to say. But it felt it felt provocative for the wrong ways journalists write stuff. Because, you know, we're sports writers ourselves. It'd be wrong for us to say we don't have an agenda because we're humans, we have opinions. 90% of the time we are paid to convey those opinions. However, this felt this felt childish in a way. 
I think that's the only word I can use to describe it because it felt like he was provoking a reaction on purpose. And like you say, it goes back to it. If if your neighbour's kicking your dog, they're only ever going to know you as an angry person. The the replies to that were full of angry City fans, and rightly so. And then it's sort of it's this sort of cycle, isn't it? You, you're going to be angry because the stuff you see from these people are angry, and they're going to make their opinion on you because you're always angry. It, it just felt after the whole week, after everything that had been said, it was so unnecessary, and and just I don't know. He's he's an esteemed professional. He's he's done wonders in the punditry world. I know in the US over over for you, Adam. Is it Champions League nights? He, he he's there mm-hmm. with Thierry Henry and um, Mike Richards. And Kate Abdo is it who who presents it? That's a great show. It's, you know, some of the clips we don't get, we don't always get to see them because of of uh, the geo locking and whatnot. But some of the clips on that are superb. He's a, he's an esteemed professional. However, this could have been posted on I don't know. This is Anfield, or you know, it probably wouldn't even be that level because it was that sort of. It, it just felt like it was out of a fanzine, and it, it it's the Telegraph newspaper. Or, sorry, the Telegraph online section. It, it was bizarre. It was really bizarre. Well, that's the thing for me, right? Is it's it's the source, and and yes, Carragher has been fine on on TV here, and I don't really have issues with him on on US television. But when let's say 75, 85% of your kind of professional image is the allegiance to your former club, like it is mm-hmm. for many pundits, Gary Neville, yeah. uh, Jamie Carragher, whoever it might be. Um, then when you come out with negative things about clubs that have an ongoing sort of toxic feud with the club that you're image is is the allegiance to it's going to get taken the wrong way well not necessarily the wrong way it's going to get taken poorly Mm. um i think that's 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 kind of where this bothers me is it coming from him i I kind it's i totally discredit it because of kind of his his image as as a liverpool supporter before he's a professional and that's kind of the way the english media is i understand that it's it's totally different here um but i think that's that's something that kind of rubbed me wrong yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned the differences. I, I suppose that's because there's in US sports, and I say this with a lot of ignorance and not knowing the exact structure, but there isn't these sort of dynasties teams and clubs can have over it because it is it's somewhat on a more level playing field. I know there's asterisks to put in there, but you don't have this sort of this Liverpool establishment who were the best team in the world for 15, 20 years between the 1970s, 1990s and United, you know, the same. You have these sort of figures who have grown up knowing that, played at a time when it wasn't exactly the same and then have come out at a different time in the career and gone into the media. So it is definitely in in, in English media, there is sort of a heavy reliance on Liverpool and United selling stories. That's how it works. You know, it's, it's nothing to say that, you know, it's not controversial to say that United sell more stories than City do because of more United fans. That's that's how it goes. Um, but in terms of the actual argument itself, I suppose we'll we'll finish up by addressing it. Do you see where they're coming from? I guess I, I could ask the question. Do you understand where, if from the outside looking in, if you support a team who has won what is it four of the last five Premier League titles, in some of those seasons, absolutely waltzed it. Some of those, which would be a counter argument like last season, final day drama. Most weekends, in fact, every single game this season, City will be expected to win. I can't think of a team in Europe at the moment, in the Premier League, even obviously down in the Football League, in, in the cup competitions where City won't go into it as favourites. Is that how football should be? Is that is that a natural sort of feeling, a natural way to support a football club, or should there be more jeopardy in it? 
Um, <clears throat> that's a bit of a loaded question. Um, would would it be nicer if football had more parity? Yes. Would it be nicer if more games had more jeopardy? Yes. I think in this very specific situation where there have been multiple quote unquote professionals that have labeled city fans as unhappy because the success is never ending. I think those people are underestimating the amount of hate that sports fans have in their heart. I know I always, I always like hark back to this, but like being a city supporter and watching United dominate for decades and Liverpool dominate for a decade, unless we then surpass that and dominate for three decades, maybe it'll get boring. But as long as those clubs have their their vaunted history to kind of laud over everybody else, it's never not going to feel good to chip away at their legacies by by creating yeah. your own. Whether that's City, whether that's Newcastle, whether it's you know Tottenham get some all of a sudden start winning things. You know, whoever whoa, it is, whoa, whoa, you're not too far. You take. We're, we're talking there. hypotheticals here. <laughs> um, whoever it is, I, I think. Um, I think these people are underestimating the level of not bitterness, but um, let's, let's put it this way. Most of the time I enjoy city winning titles because it means United didn't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So as Uh, long as city keep doing that, I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. And I guess I'll round up on this conversation by, by adding, because I agree, the question I asked you wasn't my opinion, if that makes sense, and I hope it made it abundantly clear. Um, being said, I can understand if it was another club do, uh, in, in City's position and I was a supporter of another club, I would go, yeah, that's fucking boring. Why don't you just lose a game? How Haaland scoring 17 goals before November, that's pathetic. Just grow up. Um, but obviously, I'm not. Um what I'll add is that that doesn't isn't always noticed by by people in the media because their idea of football is entirely different, especially if you're an ex-professional, for obvious reasons, is entirely different and removed from that of a supporter. And and football, supporting football is not just the 90 minutes that happens on the football pitch. There's everything that goes on before it, everything that goes on after it. And most of the time, the 90 minutes is is the the least consequential part of it, you know. For example, by the time this goes out, I'll be on a flight over to Germany with my girlfriend going to watch City play Dortmund. That whole sort of three days we're away is surrounded. It's sort of focused around the football, but it's not. It's more than that. And that's that's because of City's success. I'm making memories because of City's success. I've been next to my dad when City have not lifted, but won six Premier League titles. I couldn't have imagined a world where I was growing up as one of two City fans in, in school a world where City would have come close to one. And those memories, those hugs, those cheers, those friendships made as well along the way, you know, it, it's not boring at all. It's You're not unhappy. And, and, you know, like you say, in 30 years' time, if City have got 27 Premier League titles, perhaps then we go, all right, OK, dear mate. Do you, do you remember those days when we were getting beat by whoever it may be? But it, it, to pass it off as just sort of, yeah, that you can't enjoy that because I said so. A little bit bullish, a little bit bullying in a sense, a little bit gaslighting, gatekeeping yeah. what is okay for football <clears throat> fans, which is disappointing, disappointing. And it, it's a loaded topic, but there is also a completely – City's circumstances and their success is completely different than, say, PSG's or Bayern Munich's where <clears throat> they don't have rivals that are going to be gunning the title. They're mm. not. They, you know, there's there's Dortmund maybe in, in the Bundesliga. 
Um, but when it's when it's City are taking titles from their bitter rivals, and there's these fantastic title races with Liverpool and and the, the title races with United back in the early 2010s, you know those. Even if City win 15 out of 15 Premier League titles, if it's these exciting races against clubs that you have bitter rivalries with, that's never going to be boring. It's mm. never going to be boring because those clubs are also trying to compete at the same level that you are and you're doing it better. Whereas there's no other clubs in the Bundesliga trying to compete at Bayern's level. There's yeah. no clubs in Ligue 1 that are trying to compete at PSG's level from, a, from an infrastructure point of view. There's mm. not. So it's a completely different set of circumstances. If City played in 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 Liga and they had won the title by October every year and they and they win the title by double digit points every year, yeah, maybe I'd be a little bored. If that's the future that we're heading towards, that's another topic. If City start winning every title by double digit points and there's no competitors, maybe we address this down the line and say, yeah, it might be nicer if there was a bit more jeopardy. But at the moment, what's there what's not to like? You're watching your 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 the club that you've loved your whole life play the best football that this country has maybe ever seen. You've got boyhood fans playing for the club, Sergio Gomez, Erling Holland, uh, Phil Foden, guys like that, that are young, like the club as much as you do. It's not, it's, there's nothing soulless about it. There's, there, there's nothing to dislike about the situation. And if you're not involved in the club, you're not going to get that. Do I understand why people from the outside look at this and say that's soulless? Fine. I, 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 can, I can compartmentalize that and, and sort of get to a way of understanding. But unless you're involved in this situation, you're not going to understand why it's fucking fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Ask, ask any City supporter who was watching or alive during the final, what, 25 minutes of the final day <laughs> against Aston Villa, if, if, it, if it didn't have any jeopardy in it, then... Pff. There's your answer, basically. And, I, and I'll leave people with this, actually. If Liverpool had won four of the last five Premier League titles, do you think Jamie Carragher would have been writing an opinion piece on why why Liverpool fans need to cheer up? You're shaking your head, Adam, and I think that sums it up. Um, right, we'll call it a day. We are back on Thursday with... I'm not going to. I'm not going to say what it is, but some some pretty big news, some, some changes in the way we do things. Um... I think that's all I'll say on that matter, Adam. Yeah, big news, and we're not going to say what it is, but it's been really nice being on this show, and I'm really upset that I've been fired. Um, I'm going to take it up with HR. Um, Who is me, yeah, we'll by the way? We'll, <laughs> we'll, de- we'll deal with that on Thursday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, applications are open now, by the way. No, he's, he's not been fired yet, I will add. Yeah. Um, right, Adam, that'll do. Anything else to add? No, sir. Fantastic. Um, Nothing else from my end either. As always, like, follow, subscribe, all of that. Share this podcast around. Send it to your mate. Send it to your mum. Send it to your gardener. Now, if anyone does that, I will PayPal them a quid. Um, Until next time, it's been an absolute pleasure. See you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? 
at participating restaurants only 18 and plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.